This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And uh, joining me on the phone, it is returning guest from the band Dirty Honey, singer Mark LaBelle. Uh, bonjour, Mark. How are you? Bonjour. I'm doing good. Back in America, unfortunately, but, uh, but fortunately uh, doing some great gigs down here. So we're um, looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, let's let's just get caught up on the on the tour, and then we'll talk about some of the success you're having. The last time we spoke, of course, was uh, right after Heavy Montreal. You had come to Montreal for the first time as a band because you had obviously been here as a as a kid and as a fan. Um, what was it like coming back the second time with um, Alter Bridge and and just having this uh, second crack at the uh, at the city? Um, unfortunately it was raining the whole day, um, and, and hard too. So we had a pretty tough travel day in cause we played, uh, Toronto the night before, but, um, as the show sort of got closer, the rain started to, to hold up and, you know, the buzz was definitely quite alive, um, in that room at, at MT list. And, uh, we all talked about it, skillet and Alter bridge and, and obviously dirty honey. We all talked about it after the show, what a great crowd it was. And, um, you know, I think, I think either Montreal or Columbus right now are uh, at the top of the ranks here for best crowd of the tour. So, yeah, well, there you go. So, so let's talk about this, uh, success you're having. You know, when we, when we spoke at heavy Montreal back in July, uh, the band single when I'm gone was doing well and so on and so forth. But now you've earned the first number one on Billboard's mainstream rock songs chart. Um, talk to me about that because you're you're still an unsigned band. You still only have an EP, not even a full album. But but talk to me about this this sort of meteoric rise and and the success behind it. Sort of what what's what's made it so. You know, we got a great team um, around us and. You know, from from our manager to our, our radio promotion staff to um, you know our booking agent, I think everything's been been kind of done um, in a way to to help help the band grow and grow quickly. You know, so um, you know it's been pretty crazy. It it, it, it hasn't changed much on our end. Um, any you know anything, nothing drastic really for us has changed. It's just you know a lot of people will say congratulations on number one, and that's very nice and it's it's always great to see your name at the top of a list with a lot of great bands obviously getting radio play but um yeah not not much has changed for us you know and and uh, i i think we'll we'll see a little more of a, a a difference in you know our headlining shows and stuff like that once once we get into that later in november i think people will have a an even a more a more familiar uh, a, a better familiarity with our songs and stuff once once we get to that part of the year. Um, but yeah, the rest, most of the year was already planned out before that happened. So nothing's really changed on our ends. Um, but it's, it's definitely a great accomplishment. We're, we're very proud of it and, um, it's been, it's been great. So it has, does it, um, does it put a pressure on you though, for, for the first full length album, you know, where it raises expectations and, and everybody's going to think, well, okay, when the album comes out, there's going to be three number ones on it. Does, does it change anything in, in terms of how you are going to approach a first full length? I think that the change is different just anyway, just because you're sort of starting from scratch. We weren't really starting from scratch. Um, when we went in to do the CP, we knew we had, 
we knew we had a couple diamonds in the rough and, and, you know, we had been working, you know, very hard on, on material for a, you know, a long time before we ever went into the studio. Now, you know, the writing process is coming from, you know, sound check on the road, you know, let's see what we can muster up today in our, you know, 30 minutes of sound check, you know, come up with some sort of idea that we can record clone and then dissect a little bit more once you get into the green room. But, um, that's really the, the approach is, is a little, uh, we always sort of knew that, that topping the the five songs that we put out was going to be a, a, a heavy challenge. So, right. So, so now the, the first ones obviously were probably written, you know, at home and so on and so forth. Is it different writing on the road or does it add a sort of a, a live vibe to it? And, and does it enhance the process or does it hurt the process? It's just different. I, you know, I, I think, um, like inspiration sparks anywhere, really, you know, we had, we had an idea from soundcheck a few months ago that we thought was really cool. It was just a riff that John wrote. And then, uh, you know, like I was walking around New York city the other day, just listening to whatever. And, and, and an idea hit me right as I was getting out of the subway. And, um, we sort of blended these two ideas that are, that, you know, spawned, you know, completely different time periods. And, um, sort of put them together and they worked really well together. So that's something we're, we're working on. It's just, it's just different. I, I guess it doesn't, but that's sort of how when I'm gone came about too. It's just sort of a riff that floated around and then there was a, a melody that came into my head and it, it worked perfectly. So, um, you know, inspiration can really just strike anywhere. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're home. I oftentimes find like sitting down to write is, is doesn't usually produce the best, stuff you know it just kind of has to come through you and you know when you're doing mundane things like walking around a city or taking a shower um oftentimes those are where the best melodies and riffs come from so it's it's a very strange process but uh yeah i, I, I don't think it's changed there's just not a lot of time on the road to develop things right you when i have time at home to write um and to work on things that i that i know i already like that that makes it easier to finish them it does. Um, of course, you, you were the, the first unsigned band. What does that mean for being signed? Are, are labels sort of knocking at the door now? Are you getting people lining up? Or where are we in terms of having a, a record deal? And is it even does it even matter anymore? No, I mean, we don't really want one. So um, I think we made that pretty clear. Unless somebody, you know, makes you truly an offer you can't refuse, it's not really something I'm interested in. Um, but I, I think I'm... Uh, kind of insulated from that, those conversations. I, I think the manager, you know, deals with those sort of things and, and he's the one that gets those. So if anything, you know, really serious comes through, obviously I'm sure I'll, I'll hear about it, but, um, you know, I, it's, it's not something we're pursuing really at all. So we've got a great publishing company that, you know, is very generous and takes care of, you know, we, the deal is already made. So, um, you know, we have, we have obligations to them and, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have some more tour support money and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, we're doing, we're doing really well on the road. I mean, you know, we're working very hard to make sure that we can sustain this financially. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard work. That's for sure. But, um, you know, with, with the work we're putting in without a label, I think can have greater gains, um, down the road, no pun intended. It, it really can, and, and it's interesting to, to hear you say that, because if you and I were talking, you know, in 1979, and I said, hey, do, is it important to get a record deal? You would have been like, you know, F, yeah, of course, it's the 
Um, why do you think in this day and age it's not important? Do they just not offer? I mean, because obviously you've had the success without it, right? You, you, you're on this tour with Alter Bridge. You, you played Heavy Montreal. You, you've got a number one single. Are record companies sort of been there, done that? We don't really. I mean, is that is that where we're at? I just I just listened to a podcast with um, the Black Keys. Right, they were they were talking to Joe Rogan about you know their situation um, before they were famous, and um, both both the guys in that band are are very talented producers, and they produce a lot of artists and and bands, and um, they're like, man. We, we've had to deal with it from both sides as artists and as producers and as, you know, we they started their own record label too. So they were just talking about the major labels are just kind of, they put so many um, cogs in the wheel, if you will, that it makes it really hard to get anything done. And, you know, there's always an excuse for something. And the way our system works for Dirty Honey is there's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of steps between, you know, point a and point b it's just we want to do something you know we, we check in with our manager or, or the booking agent and that's pretty much it there's not much there's way fewer people to talk to and get approvals from or get money from you know we control our, our business um which is which is great and um obviously we have full creative control too so um it's a pretty it's a pretty much a dream scenario to be in as an artist but um you know, I think radio, record labels could have some value. Uh, you know, I, I just don't know what at this point they could do for us that that hasn't already been been done. You know. Well, you know, and and I'll share this from from the podcast perspective. I, I had been with Podcast One and Westwood One, and they brought a, a brand recognizability to what I do. But at the end of the day, I had to do an hour a week, uh, and it, it had to be on a on Mondays only, and it had to be a certain format. and And a band like Dirty Honey probably wouldn't have been a guest that they would have allowed me to have because they kept saying you have to have a level guest, a level guest. And it's like, well, right. And this to me is a lot more fun. I enjoy talking to 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 you. I enjoy talking to a band like yours. I enjoy promoting a band like yours. Uh, if you gave me a, a nugget that I could run, I could literally get off the phone and throw it up on the on the podcast provider right now and not go, well, okay, I've got to wait four days till Monday to roll around. And the other thing is, is they would get all the ad revenue and eventually they would give me an accounting, which meant I got paid every six months. Now I get paid every month. So right. it's, it, it's sort of like, yeah, you're right. It, it's a lot nicer to be independent. As long as you have your infrastructure well, it, in place. When it's going, yeah, when it's going well, that's that's for sure. Um, you know, and like, you know, we, we're we still at the point now, right, where we go out and sell our merch after the show. And, um, you know, we, we take pictures and sign things for our fans. And, you know, we, we have a great personal connection with, with our audience. And, you know, we try and we know we're a young band. It's, you know, not really you know, we haven't stood the test of time yet. Right. So, you know, I, that's the work that goes into it. And, you know, we could easily have a merch company handling our merch and then our, you know, our t-shirts would, would go to hell and the quality would, would go down. And, you know, I, I think just in terms of quality control, we can control what we put out. Um, it's quality, everything, you know, whether that's merch or it's music or it's music videos, 
and it can be exactly what the artist wants to express. And I think that's that's super important in today's um, music climate, yeah. because yeah, exa- like authenticity is everything. And I think that's why people are responding to, to Dirty Honey more than you know some other bands, I guess, because it's it's definitely authentic. Um, so you know, our influences poke their head out in the music um and there's a ton of them so it's it's definitely fresh but it's it's coming from an authentic rock and roll place we're not like a put together band or anything by like a record label um well and you've got that connection with fans you know when you're sometimes when you're in the machine there's a great distance created between the fan base and the band and when you're out there selling your own t-shirt a fan can see that and go hey you know, I, I get this guy. We're 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 on the same team here. And and anyway, I I appreciate that, and, and I appreciate the fact that you're easy to reach and that you're easy to get an interview with, and and it's just it's nice rather than have to go through all the gatekeepers, you know. Yeah, and you know, I, I said that too. Like, I mean, when I was a little kid, I, I think I told you last time, you know, I spoke to you that, you know, I got to meet Stephen and Joe Perry before my first concert ever, and for them to take the time with me, you know as a little kid outside of a radio station in little old Albany, New York, like that meant, that meant the world to me. I mean, that's why I'm doing this, you know? So, um, it was that profound of an experience for me as a little kid. And, you know, I, I, we meet tons of little kids along the way and I, I hope, um, you know, they're appreciative and, uh, you know, inspired by, by that, you know, and, you know, that's that's the ultimate goal is to help inspire a generation to, to pick up guitars again. So, yeah, yeah you're doing it well. Uh, and and on that, I just want to say uh, thank you and congratulations for for the number one. And uh, always a pleasure. And I will always support uh, Dirty Honey because I like what you're doing. I like the music. I like the style. But I, mostly I like your approach. It is fan friendly. And I think. Somewhere in the last 15 years, last 20 years, we, we sort of got away from being fan-friendly and just became very corporate, and I like fan-friendly. So, you know, merci. Yeah, me too. And uh, <laughs> how do you say uh, no problem in uh, French? Pas de problème. Oh, man, that's, I'm going to need some work on that one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the time, man. And, um, yeah, we will always come back to Montreal. We, we all said it. Um, I spoke to Miles Kennedy and, and uh, Mark Tremonti about it as well. And, uh it was such a great, we had such a great show there. And, um, I, I don't know why, but we, we have a thing going on there and, and we really, uh, we really like that city. So, well, Hey, Montreal, Montreal's a rock and roll city. And, uh, one of the things is that, uh, we sort of have this European take on things is that when we latch on to a band, we stay with you for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, ask Iron Maiden, ask the guys in sticks, ask, you know, when we get you, we get you and we stay with you. Oh yeah. So, you know, you could tell, I mean, it was, there was a buzz in the air. There was an uh, anticipation 30 minutes before we were going to take the stage and we're on at seven o'clock on this tour. And it was, uh, it was very, very interesting. And and the second we walked out there, man, we knew it was going to be a a rocking night and the crowd was so into it. And, and, um, we, we couldn't have been more grateful. And I, I certainly let them know that night too. So, uh, Thank you to Montreal, for sure. And and thank you to Dirty Honey. Uh, And on that, uh, folks, uh, we will be right back. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. 
<laughs> and there you go, folks. My uh, quick update with Dirty Honey singer Mark LaBelle. They're a single, When I'm Gone, topping Billboard's mainstream rock charts. Uh, congratulations to the boys. It's been a long way since Heavy Montreal. Well, okay, it's been two months. But uh, bravo, as we say. And uh, to my listeners, a uh, quick apology for the uh, couple of audio dropouts there. I uh, recorded the Mark interview and the upcoming uh, Michael Monroe one on the same day. And, you know, technology was not my friend that day. So um, anyway, uh, Michael Monroe has a new album out on October 18th called One Man Gang. I've had a chance to hear it. It is punk pop rock or it's, you know, it's 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 melodic punk. Can we say that? No, it's, it, listen, it's a great rock record. So do, uh, do check out One Man Gang and... Uh, Sit through my uh, interview with uh, Michael Monroe here, and uh, again, uh, a couple of audio dropouts here and there, but uh, overall, you can hear the entire interview, and it's it's great. Michael's always, always a pleasure to talk to, so uh, here we go. Without further ado, here is the one, the only, a one-man gang, Michael Monroe. We are speaking with a singer, Michael Monroe. The new album is One Man Gang, out October 18th, 2019. Uh, as we say in Montreal, bonjour, Michael. How are you? Bonjour. Comment allez-vous? <laughs> très bien. Uh, good, good. How are you? I'm très bien, yeah. yeah. Uh, ça va bien. I'm doing well. Uh, not bad. No complaints. No complaints. Every day, healthy, above ground. It's a good day. Yeah, uh, that is that that is true. Uh, so so let me start off with this because I've been listening to the album and now I know folks it's not out, but I've had a preview. A lot of great songs on there. Pitfalls of being an outsider, low life in high places, the latest video, last train to Tokyo. Um, talk to me about getting these songs together and why it's important to still keep making music and not just go tour on the legacy. Well, yeah. I always try to get better, improve upon what I do. And it's, it's a great band. I have these great people I surrounded myself with and uh, I've done everything I can to make this a real band situation, which it is, and encourage everyone to write as much as possible. And there's a lot of creative energy in this uh, this group here and uh, a lot of talent and I don't want to stifle it. I want to encourage it. And we come up with, still come up with great stuff and uh, we have a great time together uh, with these guys I would rather be the guy who makes records, some of the best work. And like I've been told, uh, most most people think uh, the last these last four albums now, the, this one's the fourth one, with this band have been some of the best work in my career, uh, along with uh, not Demolition 23 in the past. Uh, so I'd rather be the guy who makes good records, still uh, all killers, no fillers, as opposed to someone who just plays some old songs from the 80s and just, just makes records as an excuse to go on tour and maybe play one song of the new album and you know i'd rather be in the, my own position with my integrity intact and uh, improving on what i'm doing and at least trying my best to uh, get better and and it, it shows and having a, a good time doing it, it, it you can't fake that either it comes across on a record or live especially with these guys we have the greatest time so um what was the original question again? <laughs> well, the original question was, was, was the importance of uh, making new music. Because, you know, you look at 2015, yeah. you did Blackout Stage, which was a great album. You had Horns and Halos before that, another great album, and now One Man Gang. So you're right. You are, you yes. are, you're, you're not living off of, 
you know, death jail and rock and roll or, or, or complacent. Yeah. Which is, which is good. No, certainly not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't creating something new and uh, being excited about it. And, and yeah, that's the most rewarding thing is coming up with something that turns out to be great. And yeah, the process of the album, that's what you were asking about too. The process, how we came up with, came, got these songs together. I mean, actually we had, we had so many songs. We had like so many, so much to choose from. We decided to record 18 tracks in the studio and then we had to narrow it down to at one point it was like 14 i said oh i'm not gonna let this one go not by that one either and then i just decided no come on let's just make it a real i like the older albums that were like 10 10 songs maybe 11 12 at the most uh last blackout stage had 13 songs uh, when it gets to like 15 16 no matter how great the songs are you need, need an ear break and you kind of i like records that you'll want to listen to again after it's over you just want to put it on again and therefore i came i we decided we came down to the 12 tracks that was my final suggestion to the guys i said how about this and it was a perfect uh, as a whole as an entirety the best songs make the album regardless of who wrote and there was a tons of songs of my own that i took off the album because i i was like wait a minute oh rich there's, there's one song with a great sax solo for example and that was mine that i took off because rich had a better one and uh therefore as it turned out there's not that much sax on this album the saxophone is only I think it's uh, in the tall grass has a saxophone in the middle section and, and at the end, but uh, it was unintentional. But yeah. but there's some harp, there's more harp for that matter. But yeah, so the best songs make the album uh, as long as they're new songs and who you know the written by the band, whoever wrote it, it doesn't matter uh, regardless of who wrote the song. The best songs make the album, and we decided together. It's a democracy. Is this is really a band, and that's why one man gang. The band has my name, but uh, we're a bunch of guys. So. I thought that was the perfect title for the record. So, yeah. Yeah, so, it thought, is. Right? Thanks. And musical style also affected not, not only good songs, but the musical direction. I like that, where this was going. So, Yeah, I, I like the musical direction, too. Uh, let me ask you about uh, producing the album. You did it along with Rich Jones and Steve Conti. Um, sometimes when bands produce their own albums, there's a tendency to become sort of self-indulgent, and you, and you need sort of those outside ears. You need the Mutt Langs and the Bob Ezrins and... Uh, talk to me about producing that and sort of how do you avoid becoming self-indulgent and still being able to have a focus and say, aha, this is good. And, you know, talk to me about producing it. Yeah, well, we're, we're very critical about that stuff and we don't let things make, they make things easy on ourselves just to get away with something that, that we're, one of the first rules is uh, cliche free. It has to be cliche free, no cliches in, in lyrics in uh, singing or playing guitar solos, anything that's been done before and it's kind of redundant. It's like, oh, oh, I heard that before. Now you sound like this guy or that guy. Come on, let's reinvent ourselves. And we really, if it if it isn't ourselves, then it's somebody in the band always says, nah, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's like that's corny, and you know. So we're very critical. There's a and we have a great sense of style. I must say, in terms of uh, quality of as uh, as knowing what not to play as opposed to what to play. You know. And just not to do something because you can and do, or try to impress people with our talent, how great players we are. I mean, I got some, two of the greatest guitar players in the world and they but they play tasty. And for example, on the sensory overdrive, there's a song called one of the songs we have is Trick of the Wrist, first song of the album. There's a chorus. There's, I think, three choruses in the song. And one of the choruses in the middle has, a, you know, as opposed to the trick of the wrist, it has a. Back in Mogul, like a group of guys going, trick, trick, trick of the wrist, trick, trick, trick of the wrist. So we had that only on that one chorus because it was a cool addition at that point of the song. Most other bands would say, hey, man, that's a hook. 
let's put her in every course, of course, dude. And then there would be in every course, drug, drug, drug and that way you attract all the morons that like to drink beer and go, you know, hit their bang their head against the wall and get violent and 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 but the best scenario is throw shit at you on stage, whatever. But uh, stuff like that we don't do because it's you know it's, we have the this great uh, taste and, and sense of style to leave stuff like that out. It's a matter of choices, and uh, you know sometimes I mean the Ramones were thank God for them they played rock and roll having no guitar solos in the first three albums and then the fourth album had a guitar solo is just one note and want to be sedated and playing one note with com- convincingly. Is way harder than playing a million notes a second and so on. Look how fast I can play with no head or tail to it, no no heart or brain or, you know. So we're very much uh, into quality and and having it remain authentic and for real. And we just don't let ourselves get away easy with anything. We just, I mean, there's a great team in this out in this band. Yeah, it's a great team. Cynicism is, uh, yeah. Well, and and, and speak, just real, real quick, speaking of great teams, you mentioned Sensory Overdrive. You did uh, debauchery as a fine art with, with Lemmy, the one and only Lemmy. And, of course, yeah. it, was, it was produced by Jack Douglas, who did the John Lennon stuff, the Miles Davis stuff, the Aerosmith stuff. Um, yeah. What an album that was, right? I mean, holy mackerel. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it won the Classic Rock uh, Album of the Year Award uh, in 2011 for a good reason, I think, too. It was great it was like my come coming back to my solo career uh, with a record like that and it's still one of my favorites all these records have their own personality but that was really really a special one and jack Doug- douglas was a great producer had great stories <laughs> of uh, john lennon and uh, great aerosmith stories and all and the records he produced with aerosmith are my you know our favorites of aerosmith and there's a funny guy uh but when it came to mixing we still ended up using my guy in finland petri Myri, who now re- has mixed, also mixed uh, Horns and Halos and Blackout States, even though they had different producers too. But this time we decided to do it from scratch ourselves. We figured, uh, well, the last album was produced by Chip Skisby, uh, the Swedish guy from uh, the band Sator. And it was great also, but we had we decided in the beginning that Petri Mayuri is going to mix it anyway. So we had already had that, in, we had planned that. But this time we figured, why get a producer? Because we know how to, we can... We can produce ourselves, and uh, we've all produced records, and it, it didn't seem like we needed anyone to just be there and say, oh, that sounds good, and that sounds bad, and we we have that uh, within the band already, so, you know, also saved a bunch of money not having to pay, you know, thousands of euros to some guy for uh, for being there to tell us what we already know, and unless it's somebody really significant that makes a huge difference at this point in our uh, career and our band. Uh, advanced development. I think it was a, it was a smart decision. Decision also in terms of recording, having Petri, uh, the guy who's going to mix the album, also record it from the from scratch from the beginning uh, at this great studio, which was a residential studio too. So we could live there and really get into the music. Um, that was also good and make things a bit easier. And uh, recording this album during the time we didn't have management. Our deal with Universal was the last album that came out on that. Out of, for, on that deal was uh, the best. The album, the compilation album, CD, Michael Monroe, the best. After that, uh, the deal was up. So, and the guy who signed us was, uh, at the time when he signed us, the head of the label was, uh, of course, had already left the label. So, <laughs> our guy was gone, and uh, that's what often happens. And there was no, uh, you know, obviously, you know, didn't seem to be a reason to renew the deal. So we were without a label for a while. And without a manage, management also. Actually, the previous management was not really 
decent management, so to speak. I was, I've always had bad luck with managers, but that changed. Uh, for the first time a year, about a year ago when we started working with Seven Websters, seems to me it's the first time we, we really have proper management now. And, and through that, we also got a great record label, Silver Lining, brilliant, and uh, UTA, a booking agent. So the record was already actually, we were finished with the album, it was mastered and everything at the, in the beginning of December 2018. We recorded it in the spring of 2018 and uh, took a break for the summer for the festival gigs and then went back in the studio in the fall and, and finalized it and then mixed it and it was done already then, but we didn't have a team to work it, so I didn't want it to go to waste. I wanted to wait till we have a good team around the album, it's just uh, so it'll give a proper shot, you know. Yeah. To give to give it a proper chance to, uh, you know, get to people and uh, not not piss it away in a in a rush. And so so that's that's why it took a while before we uh, put it out. And of course, you need you need good media talking about it as well. But uh, since we mentioned Lemmy, you had him as a guest on that one. Um, yeah, debauchery as a fine art. Yes, yeah, it was that, a great great time we had that. Yeah. Now, on this one, you have uh, Captain Sensible of the Damned, one of those great sort of classic bands. Um, uh-huh. I don't know what's going on in the background there, but I, is there is there are you cutting something? <laughs> Sounds like there's cutting. No, there. it is actually I was making a coffee. Oh, it's okay. done. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I thought somebody was mowing Excuse or something. Me. Sorry no. about that. But no. All right. But uh, yeah, I got yeah, my I'm coffee sorry. here. Too. Well, in fact, let's talk about the importance of coffee. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, Captain Sensible <laughs> of the Damned, right? Uh, it's, impor- yeah. it's important to, to, to talk about Captain Sensible and the Damned. Uh, talk to me about having him on there, uh, on the album, and, and and really giving it that sort of, well, not that sort of, but but adding to the punk feel that we have. Yeah, I mean, he's a punk rock legend, um, and I'm fortunate enough to know him and uh, have the damned of being friends of ours since the since the '80s, since the early '80s when we with Hanoi Rocks, we we ended up playing on we we got got to meet them at quite an early point, and uh, they're a London band, and also played some festivals and stuff together, and got to know them, and uh, really one of the greatest bands of all time, totally underrated. Uh, Captain Sensible, in, in a lot of ways, people don't realize what a great guitar player he is, thinking that, you know, all that uh, stuff about his, his image and the way he was live. And was I was just like, <laughs> when I first saw them at the Marquee with the London audience, and it was just incredible. I mean, it, he came on stage and just like, all right, yes, stinking positive shit. <laughs> we have a new album called Strawberries for Pigs. We're the strawberries. You're the pigs. If you don't like it, fuck off. Oh, can I say that? Sorry. If I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can okay. say that all, all Anyways, you want. Anyways, the language, good, good, good. So he was like, wait, wait a minute, I'm the idiot? You're the idiot. You paid to see me. <laughs> it's like so incredible. I was just, that guy came out there, grabbed people by the throat and, and Vanians. He's, he was like the original goth, if anyone was. Him and uh, Susie and the Banshees, Susie, them two are like the, 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 the blueprint for a goth image, if you talk about a style. I mean, Vanian was so cool and stylish. I mean, he used to be a great digger, right? They, that's why they found him, because they liked the way he looked. They said, yeah, you're a singer. So <laughs> and it's such a great thing with this band. They evolved so much over the years. And what I like the most about the Damned uh, in general was their their own style. They had their own style. They, there's no way that they tried to like fit the punk kind of mold quite the opposite they always had their did their own thing and were completely in the, their own style in every way they were just uh and they evolved a huge amount over the years they made some really great records great songs and uh kept kept uh, reinventing themselves and uh 
always great fun live and uh, really just one of the greatest bands ever. Thank God for them. And they deserve to be way more famous and more well known than they are than they are, because uh, you know it's one of those things. You know, one of those one of my favorite bands. Uh, some of most of them are like you know not as big as they should be. You know, cause they're too cool to be big. The mainstream doesn't appreciate that kind of quality always. Yeah, well, in fact, I, I, yeah. So it's sensible. Yeah, I was just going to say I was looking at a list of of what you consider to be the sort of the ten best songs, uh, including uh, "Lord of the New Church," "Open Your Eyes," "Dead Boys Ain't It Fun," which is a fantastic song. So you're right, you're mm-hmm. some of these uh, some of these ones. But uh, let me quickly get over to Steve Conti. Um, I first got to hear him yeah. back in the early '90s with a band called Company of Wolves, which was a great, great band. Um, Talk to me about yeah. having Steve in the band because he he really adds that that extra something, right? I mean, it, it's it's intangible. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's an incredible player, first of all, and a very talented songwriter as well. And he's a New York guy. We were on the same label actually, without knowing each other back in back in the eighties and nineties. He had a company of Wolves. He was uh, signed to Polygram Records, and I think we even had the same A and R guy. I think it was Jim Lewis. Uh, but for some reason, I never really met, met him those days. And, uh, he just came, he was, he was in the dolls with, with, uh, Sammy, Sammy Alpha And he, uh, we had a guitar player who bailed on me just be- two weeks before the first American dates and, uh, which was <laughs> not very nice. But then, uh, it was a blessing because Steve was so much better. It was like, thank God Steve got in the band. He still got, because the dolls were taking a indefinite break, I think. And Sam, Sammy just called Steve and said, I said, let's see if he's still available. And luckily he was free. To do this, and uh, he's like, you know, we're all the best of friends, all of us in this band. And uh, Steve, 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 I have a very special relationship too. Uh, he's uh, one of the greatest guys I've ever met, and, and really uh, smart and and such a great player. And he especially, it's like his solos are totally in their own league. He always reinvents himself. He never does. He never repeats himself. He never has any does any cliches. And and he's he's always. Uh, 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 especially, uh, you know, an expert on on puns and stuff like that. We always have such a great time, it's great fun with him. It's a really fun He's guy. Like he would say, yeah, yeah. And and I actually bought guy, the company. Say, of yeah, albums. fun guy, fungus. Yeah, you know, I I yeah. own those albums. I bought uh, them. I back never. Then. You do? I do. Great. I bought great, them. Great. Good stuff. All right. Good well, stuff. he he had only solo stuff too. Is yeah, and I played on his solo record. And he's good writer, really, and. Yeah, I'm really glad and blessed to have him in the band. Uh, and him and Rich together, you know, two of the best guitar players I could hope for right now. I mean, in, in a band uh, and a very band oriented kind of guy and uh, a lot of fun. It's a really cool character. He, he and is by now... the way, the Captain Sensible thing happened. Captain Sensible got to start the solo thing. I was like, the song sounded a bit like the damn. And I thought, you know, I'll give it a shot. I called uh, Captain and I said, Would you like to play a solo on the song? He said, all right, send it over. And I emailed him the song. And I get an answer. I said, yeah, I love the song. We'll have something for you in a couple of days. The next day, he had sent it in my email. It was a solo, and it was perfect as it, as it was, as it is. So I said, hey, guys, guess who's playing the solo on the one of my, my gang? I said, what, was Steve, Rich? No, Captain Sensible. No, no way. All right, yeah. So that was such a great kick. But anyways, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you, well, you were going to ask about After well, Steve? Well, I was going to ask about After Steve, because you, you did mention you have a new booking agent, and you did mention uh, touring. Uh, recently you, you were quoted as saying that coming to the U.S. and or North America is just not worth it. It, it, it. Was that a proper quote? Because in a sense it's worth it, but but there is some difficulties to it in the sense that uh, just to get five guys over here, you're $20,000 in the hole before you even actually play a gig. Exactly. Thank you. That's the problem is 
you don't make enough to make it worthwhile and you don't get to enough people if you're just doing a plane you know i mean talking about midwest and the majority of the country it's such a big place someone may get it wrong it's just, i'm not, not saying it's not worth it it's always worth doing something but going to america touring trying to make it if you want to get people to notice you this, and there's no way of doing. That's no way to do it. If you're gonna play for a couple of hundred people around the country, and you know some small clubs, and uh, you're just like losing money and uh, not making enough to make it worthwhile, and then you're beating your head against the wall because no one's gonna notice. You could do that for 10, 20 years, and you know you get nowhere. Uh, if you really want to get noticed, you should get on a big tour with a major, you know, stadium-sized band and tour there for a couple of years, and then then you then you'll get noticed, you know. But this and this position that I'm in, unfortunately. Having been, uh, having gotten on any, you know, bigger tours than what we've done is, we played there as much as we could. We, you know, sitting on a tour bus month after month, and then doing L.A. and New York and uh, doing Boston, Philadelphia, and I mean, it's just great cities. Uh, you know, East Coast, West Coast, but then the Midwest and so much of the area is like, there would be no, there's just no point, and uh, it's just a, a, a waste, a waste. Well, of, well it's difficult. Of, I mean, uh, money and 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 that. It's, yeah, even it, big bands there are having problems because there's no rock and roll is not <laughs> sailing that well anymore. It's not in fashion and whatever. The hip hop and country scene is like seems to be like the big thing there, and uh, even even big names there have to make package tours and you know to to, to make a tour touring worthwhile. So I, at the moment it seems that as things are right now, but I would love to play in America more because I love the audiences there. Really, rock and roll was part, is really truly a part of the culture there. So therefore, we're, we're uh, perfect for America. Having a little bit of a difficulty with the audio, but uh, I will remind the folks that uh, One Man Gang is out October eighteenth. Uh, Michael, I could go on, but the we're we're having some some technical issues, and and I'm I'm hearing every second okay. word. But uh, all right, as we say, thank well, you. Was, yeah. Well, thank you very much, and uh, I was just I just want people to know about the American that I really would love to play there. The audiences in America really love this kind of rock and roll that we play you know the, the two guitars and the rock and roll is a big part of the culture there uh and therefore it's a shame that the situation is su such as it is but uh if, if there's any any change or any possibility i mean i'll be there in a in a, in a, in a second to see what well, the, the change as is, much is as possible you're gonna have to make a modern country record and then you'll have you'll come play the big places well, yeah, and exactly. Then that ain't gonna happen. Sorry, pal. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's not gonna happen. Uh, but uh, but yeah, always a, a pleasure. You know, always a pleasure. Thank we, you. Same here. We, we've Great done interviews for all these albums for, for all the way back to 2011 and before, and uh, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, mind you. Thank you. Same here. And mind you, Lucinda Williams, country legend, singing on. Sensory Overdrive on the song uh, Gone Baby Gone. So that's right. Not too far from country. See? Gone Baby Gone. That's right. Written by Ginger as well. Well, co-written with Ginger of the Wild Hearts. Co-written with Ginger. Me is Not only Ginger. Not only Ginger. Though he would like to say probably, oh, Lucinda singing on my song. <laughs> but we wrote that together. She's fantastic. But yeah, it's really great talking to you again. And uh, let's talk again soon. All the best to everybody in America. God bless you all. And uh, Take care. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk.